It was October 2nd, 2006, when a guy named Matt Swazell was driving home from what was a 24-hour shift as a firefighter and an EMT. That he had worked this whole shift, and he described it as pretty normal, but that it was an incredibly busy day, and so during those 24 hours, he probably only got about 30 minutes of sleep total. And he was driving home like he had hundreds of times on the same highway, when for two or three seconds, he describes what we probably felt as maybe like a long blink. He hadn't fallen asleep, but there's something in that moment where he knew it wasn't, it was a long blink, two to three minutes, two to three seconds. And the blink ends as he's drifting off because he's drifted across the highway and hit a car coming head on. He said he woke up, he snapped out of it, and it was the most, in his words, God-awful noise and smell and scene he'd ever seen in his life. This guy was a firefighter and an EMT, and that's how he described it. Him and the other passengers of the other car rushed to the hospital, and at the hospital, after a couple hours of surgeries and different things, he wakes up. And Matt wakes up, he rolls over, he sees one of his coworkers from the fire department sitting there. And they say, Matt, I've got some tough news, but the, the driver of the other vehicle, her name was Jane Fitzgerald, and she didn't make it. But she was also seven months pregnant, and the baby didn't make it either. And the only glimmer of hope that that other firefighter could give to his coworker was that there was a two-year-old in the back seat named Faith that did survive. And that Faith's dad, Eric, was now here at the hospital, but that they were going to have to just go through this situation. Fast forward a couple of weeks, there's jury trials and different criminal cases and just different things going on as they try to sort through all this mess. And Matt is sitting there, and the jury is hearing different people give opinions and such, and Eric, the husband, steps up to the stand. And as he stands up there, they give him the opportunity to speak to the jury, to tell them what, they think, what he thinks they should do for a punishment. He's the husband who's lost his wife, the father who's lost his daughter. One morning he woke up and he had everything. That night he went to sleep and there was a hole in his life. And he gets to stand there and say, I think you should do this to that man who took it all from me. What would you do? You personally, your life is gone in a snap. You stand on the judge, you stand getting to speak to the jury to tell the person who took it from you. What do you do? I don't think we can answer that. I think it's too abstract. We're not in the situation. We don't know those feelings. But the gospel answers it. The gospel steps in and it says the answer to that question is forgiveness. Right? It seems so simple, but really, here's what I feel like the problem is. We've started to embrace forgiveness as a Christian cliche. That it's a word we know, it's something we throw around, it's a concept we've wrestled with, but it's not really like something we put roots in. This fundamental Christian idea of forgiveness, it's just become, I think, another statement on our wall. But last week I, I stood up here and I told you that Paul was asking Philemon to do something really hard. He was asking him to forgive. Because Onesimus had wronged him. And I know you may be left here and you're like, I don't really get why it's that difficult. But what if that was you? What if you were Eric? 
What if you needed to forgive because that's what the gospel commands you to do, but the person who hurts you sits right in front of you? Now it's real. And forgiveness is this central theme that's woven through the story of Philemon and Onesimus. And when I come up here and I talk to you through a book of the Bible, the beauty of scripture is it's living and active and you're a part of it. That Philemon's story, in some way, it's all of our story. That we've all been Philemon. We've all been hurt. Some of us come in tonight carrying just kind of shallow wounds. We've been pretty blessed. That the things and the people that have cut us and hurt us, like it, it still hurts. I don't want to discredit it, but like we've been pretty blessed. Others of, of, others of us in the room come in with deep cuts, incredible hurts, heavy baggage. And for whether you're on either end of the scale there, you still get to play Philemon. Because you've been someone who's hurt. And now through the gospel, we're asking you to forgive. And so I'm going to open up the text with some of that weight tonight. Because I don't want to open a night like this talking to the story of Philemon and forgiveness with just another funny story. Forgiveness is heavy. So let's feel that for a second. Otherwise, flip to verse 8 in Philemon and I'm going to start reading through verse 17. It says, therefore, although in Christ I could be bold and order you to do what you ought to do, yet I prefer to appeal to you on the basis of love. It is none other than Paul, an old man and now a prisoner of Christ Jesus, that I appeal to you for my son Onesimus, who became my son while I was in chains. Formerly he was useless to you, but now he's become useful both to you and to me. And I'm sending him, who is my very heart, back to you. I would have liked to keep him with me so that he could take your place in helping me while I'm in change for the gospel, but I did not want to do anything without your consent so that any favor you do would not seem forced, but it would be voluntary. Perhaps the reason he, that's Onesimus, was separated from you for a little while was that you might have him back forever, yet no longer as a slave, but better than a slave, as a dear brother. Here is my very dear to you. But he is very dear to me, but even dearer to you, both as a fellow man and as a brother in the Lord. So if you consider me a partner, welcome him as you would welcome me. And we step into the story, and last week I talked through just some of this tough ask that Paul was coming to with Philemon. And this question that he's, he's throwing to him, what he's really asking is that the slave Onesimus who ran away from his master Philemon, that the two be reconciled. That Onesimus is carrying this very letter that we're reading back to his master Philemon about to ask for this forgiveness. And Philemon's receiving this and he's hearing this like you and I would maybe hear it. And he's faced with this incredible question. And we stand in there and this is what Paul is asking there are many harms that will be, be real for Philemon. That there are hurts, there are pains that will, be a pri that will come about because of this forgiveness. Really, what Paul is asking Philemon to do is unheard of. Like, it's incomprehensible. Like, there is no piece of, of this culture of Philemon who would have understood this ask like when he first said it. Like, it, it, honestly, like... The expectation of what Philemon was supposed to do to Onesimus was a couple different things. The first thing he was supposed to do is he was supposed to humiliate him. 
He was supposed to make a show of him, put him on display. One of the ways the Roman culture would do this is if they caught an escaped slave, they would put an iron collar around their neck that was inscribed with their address. And so everywhere they went, when they continued to be that slave, they would see that collar and they would know in their humiliation, they ran away, they got caught. But they would also know right to bring them back where to. That was the first thing. That was the base level of what is expected of Philemon when Onesimus comes back. The other thing they would expect of him is they would expect to beat him. That he would be beat over and over again on public display for any slave or any person to watch and to to celebrate. Because that's what he deserved in this culture. The third thing is most people in this culture would probably just want Philemon to kill Onesimus. To set that precedent. To crucify him. To put him on that stake, on that cross, to make him an example for everyone. If not a crucifixion, they would take him and they would feed him to wild beasts in something like a gladiator arena so that other people could watch and cheer it on. That is what is expected of Philemon when he receives this letter culturally. For us to understand, I, I do want to play a little bit of a light, light, ridiculous story with you. Who knows Larry the Cucumber? Yeah. That's big facts, Larry the Cucumber. So Larry the Cucumber, if you don't know who he is, go home, Google Larry the Cucumber, where is my hairbrush? Like, that's all you need. You are good. Like, you're locked in. You know Larry the Cucumber. He's ridiculous. Like, it's so silly. But now if I came to you and I was like, I was not playing, and I told you, 2024, Larry the Cucumber, he's going to be president. You'd be like, what? Brennan, you are ridiculous. And I'm like, I'm not kidding. I'm dead serious. He is going to be president. The Lord gave me a word. This is what I'm telling to you. Like, believe that. Like, on everything that I have, I would be pitching this idea to you as truth. You'd be like, that is unheard of. Like, no Looney Tunes characters been it. No SpongeBob characters. There's been no cartoon characters that have been president, Brennan. Like, it's unheard of. But it's also incomprehensible because, like, what would Larry the Cucumber do as the president? Like, he doesn't have, like, the, he, the people skills. He doesn't have the education. Like, it just, it doesn't make any sense. I can't even wrap my mind around it. That ridiculous question I just proposed to you, it's as ridiculous as what Paul is asking Philemon to do. In their culture, slaves did not get welcomed back ever, zero, no chance as brothers. It's ridiculous. It's crazy. But he asks. And if for some reason Philemon says yes, like if he throws away all of his logic and he says yes, the first thing that will go will be his reputation. That honestly, for him to say yes and to welcome Onesimus back would be absolute social suicide for Philemon. That socially, it would ruin everything for him. That because, if you don't remember from last week, he was a well-to-do, highly educated Roman citizen, he could go places that a lot of people couldn't, couldn't go. But if he does this socially, don't even expect to get on that list. Relationally, the people he gets to interact with who love him and, and, and invest in his life and who he calls friends, that will drastically change if he does this. Or let's do this. Financially, this has financial consequences for Philemon. That today, when you're a business owner or you do commerce or something like that, you have like social security numbers, you got bank accounts, you got credit cards, you got loans, you got banks. They didn't have that. If I wanted to do a deal with you 
we would pretty much do it based on our reputation and our merit in the community. Now imagine you threw all that away and everybody regards you in your society as a sellout, as scum, as lowly. You used to be this, but now you're this. Now try to make a living. So what Paul is asking here, it becomes this ideal that for Philemon to say yes, he has to forego his reputation, his livelihood, and the very way of life he has gotten used to. Are you willing to throw away everything you know as your life for someone who wronged you? That person who hurt you? The situation that you got just backstabbed in, are you willing to throw away everything you know? The whole entire life you get to experience for that person. That is what Paul is asking here. And if we're to flip the script and talk a little bit about us, Philemon's culture didn't expect forgiveness. Ours doesn't either. Like, look around. Cancel culture? It's literally an entire idea built on bitterness and resentment and possible, like, revenge in the name of justice. I get there's maybe something in there swimming deep in it that could be good, but really, that's so far from the gospel. But that's what's expected of you. Like when something makes the news because some person forgives, it's because that's so radical. Where it'll make the news and then people will talk about it, about that one person who forgave that other person from the jury stand or from the, the courtroom. But that is incredibly unrealistic for what our culture believes. It just feeds off these harms that Philemon was experiencing. But even if we can get past the cancel culture and we can say, hey, that's okay, I'll, throw, I'll, I'll put that aside and I'll think about forgiveness, we start to just believe the lies that are accompanied it. That if I forgive them, it'll let them off the hook easy. Because I'm hurt. I, I'm hurt and I want them to hurt. And I, I, maybe I don't want them to hurt, but I want them to know that I hurt. I want them to feel my hurt. I want them to see my hurt. I want them to experience even a little bit of what I am feeling in these moments. And if I forgive them, if I let go of that, they're just off the hook. Or are they? Or let's, let's look at another lie. If we forgive people, does that mean they deserved it? Because we believe that lie, like if they don't deserve it, then I'm not giving them forgiveness. Because what they did to me was wrong. Who they are as a person is wrong. Their character is wrong. Everything they've built up in their life, the way they act, it's wrong. It's against the gospel, so they don't deserve my forgiveness. But is that right? Is that truth? Is that what we build our lives on? Or let's, let's involve some other people. Have you ever wrestled with forgiveness, not because of what it'll do to you or to the other person, but to the community around you? and what other people will think about you? Have you ever fed that lie? I have. If I forgive that person, does that make me look weak? Does that make me look insecure? Does that set a precedent where now other people in my life can treat me the way that person did? My boyfriend cheated on me, he lied. My girlfriend, she cheated on me, they lied, but I forgave them. Does the next person who rolls through is that just okay because they've seen me embrace this pattern of forgiveness? These are the lies we start to feed ourselves. 
And they're all so far from the gospel. And if we're willing to see all of the lies, we're willing to see all the harms that Philemon wrestled with, and if for some reason, like Philemon, we're, we're willing to say yes, I think it comes down to this simple truth. It's the Sunday school answer. It's all about Jesus. It's all about the cross. Spoiler alert, if you haven't caught on, Philemon forgives Onesimus. That this letter is proof of that forgiveness. Because if this letter got delivered to Philemon, and then they would have read it to him, and then he would have decided to do all those other things I was telling you, like beat him, mock him, kill him, those things, the letter wouldn't have made the scriptures. Like he would have crumpled it up, thrown it away, and disregarded all of Paul's teaching here. But for some reason he doesn't, he embraces it, he lives it, and he sets a new precedent, and that precedent exists with us today, thousands of years later. It's a testament to his yes that we still get to read the story. But here's the thing, if I can be honest with you, I would do it different. Not necessarily from Philemon's view, like he's a stand-up guy, he said yes. I would do it different from Paul's view. Because Paul steps in here and, here, I don't want to ruin it. I'll do it this way. If you come to me as your pastor who loves you and cares for you deeply, if this is you, please come. If you come to me and you're like, hey, this person hurt me, big or small, they did this thing that's wrong to me. I can tell you what I'm going to say right now. I'm going to start to preach the gospel to you. I'm going to tell you that Jesus was, he was wronged and he was hurt. That Jesus lived the perfect life, that he died on the cross, that he rose, that he forgave us, and that forgiveness we didn't deserve, and that forgiveness we should embrace. Because we're forgiven, we should forgive. That's the spiel I'm going to give you. It's the truth. It's the right answer. Like, there is no other better answer. But Paul, he doesn't do that. Like, I, I got so confused some, somewhat prepping this because Paul writes a huge chunk of the New Testament and so I'm flipping through, reading some of his stuff and Paul preaches the gospel all the time. Like, this man is literally just like puking out the gospel everywhere he goes. Whoever can get around, he's just telling them, like, Jesus died, Jesus rose, Jesus died, Jesus rose. You're forgiven, you're saved, Jesus died. Like, the, all the time Paul's preaching the gospel. He's preaching it into people's everyday lives who probably don't want to hear it. Yet here's Philemon, this pastor, this church leader, this Christian, this Roman citizen who's been wronged, who desperately needs the gospel, and Paul's just silent. Like he, he says Jesus' name, but only a couple times, like offhandedly. He never talks about Jesus' death. He never mes message, or mentions the resurrection. So what is he doing here? What if Paul doesn't preach the gospel because at least with words here, because he chooses to live it by example. The Philemon knew what the gospel was, like many of us in the room do. We know Jesus died. We know he rose. That's a, that's a truth many of us hold to. But what if we didn't need just that reminder again, but instead we need an example? Paul does that in two ways. Verse 17 he says, so if you consider me a partner, welcome him as you would welcome me. Paul and Philemon, they have like a, 
I would, I would say a pretty dope relationship. Like, as you read the letter, like, Paul is asking all these things, calling on all these memories, like, inviting in all these people, like, giving him praise and receiving praise. Like, they're, like, buddy-buddy. They have, a, like, a sweet relationship. That in verse 22, Paul actually says this. He says, and one more thing. Why don't you just prepare a guest room for me? But he doesn't give any, like, indication for when he's coming. Have you ever got a friend like that where it's like, yeah, I'll be there? It's like, When? Oh, yeah, yeah, I'm coming. 45 minutes later, they st- you check their location. They're still at their place. Like, you, like, Paul's like, he's got the type of relationship where he's like, prepare a room. I'll be there sometime. So they have this relationship built on respect and mutual benefit where the two of them can just kind of nonchalantly talk. Like, there's like a weight to this, but there's a letter. Like, they're just communicating. But Onesimus shows up with this letter. And Onesimus holds this letter standing on the doorstep, the porch of Philemon, the master that once owned him, the guy who probably hates him, the one he probably fears the most in all the world. He stands on this doorstep with the letter and he's got to deliver it. Like if it's Paul, Paul pulls up and Philemon probably throws a party. Like he's rich, he's powerful, he's got all these, these friends that would come. They would probably throw this, it would be a banger, like it would be so lit, this party that Philemon's going to throw for Paul. But when Onesimus shows up, I would not want to be in that area. It'd be so awkward. But Paul says, he says, the welcome that I deserve, that party, that room, this relationship, why don't you give that to Onesimus? And then he says a second thing, verse 18, if he has done you any wrong or he owes you anything, charge it to me. Paul, did you just forget why you were writing the letter? (laughs) I don't know if you guys caught that, but the man said, if. Like, ah, by the way, if, if, if Onesimus has done anything wrong, go ahead and just charge it to me. If I'm Philemon, I am heated right there. What are you talking about if? This man stole from me. He ran away. He was my property. He left. I have faced social disgrace. I faced my reputation. Like, what are you talking about if? I've lost, like, here, numbers people. At this time, a slave would have cost baseline like $4,500. Even financially, Philemon here has lost five grand plus all of the work that Onesimus would have done here. And Paul says, yo, if he owes you anything, just make sure to let me know. What? That doesn't make any sense. Unless Paul's writing a blank check. And he knows what Onesimus has done. He knows that he's messed up. He knows that he owes a debt. But what if he doesn't want to just include a couple of things, but the entire life that Onesimus has lived? He wants to say, you know what? I'll, I'll pay for that. Because in verse 19, he says, I, Paul, am writing this with my own hand, and I will pay it back. That out of his own pocketbook, he'll write this blank check, slide it to Philemon, say, whatever the number is, I don't care. Write it down, I'll pay it. Out of who I am. Because at the same time that Paul asks that his welcome be given to Onesimus, Paul assumes the debt that Onesimus owes. And so I told you, the answer tonight is Jesus. 
But when we talk about this answer of Jesus, do you see what Paul has done here? Because Jesus, he had the welcome like we couldn't even imagine. He lived the perfect life as the son of God and his welcome into heaven would have been glorious. Oh my gosh, I can't even imagine what God would do to welcome his son back to the throne. Can you even wrap your mind around what Jesus had with his father, the relationship they had, the connection they had? Like it would put every relationship you know to shame. And, he, and Jesus says, you know what, I have this welcome, I've got this relationship, but I'll give it to you. And he says that to you. And at the same time, the debt we owe, every single sin, past, present, and future, big and small, against people, against God, against ourselves, every single sin, we need to recount for all of that. And Jesus writes this blank check and he says, I'll pay it. It doesn't matter. Who I am, I'll pay it all. Out of my very life with my own hand, I'll pay that. 1 Corinthians 11, 1. Paul says, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. He's lived that out here in Philemon. And if we're willing to embrace this, and we don't just embrace it as something we know, but instead it becomes something we live, there are so many benefits in it for us. Because first off, there's freedom in forgiveness. Verse 20 says this, I do wish, brother, that I have some benefit to you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ, that there is good in it for us that there is freedom in forgiveness, that this idea that God has given to us is not just so that he can sit up in heaven and see how we play it out. It's not just some abstract, just like concept that he thinks maybe is gonna work. There is benefit in forgiveness to you, freedom. The idea is that God has given us the command of forgiveness. It's a command. Matthew 6, 14 through 15, Jesus says this, for if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your father will forgive you in heaven. But if you do not forgive others your sin, your father will not forgive your sins. That's heavy. That's not just like a, hey, here's a piece of advice, like this is a little proverb that hey, if you wanna do it, like sweet, that'd be great. Like if you don't forgive others their sins, God doesn't forgive you. That's what Jesus said. But why? Forgiveness is gross. It's hard. I'm still believing some of those lies. But God knows it's for our good. And when he knows it's for our good, he feels the bitterness that we're holding. Like sometimes I think we forget that God knows what we experience. That he walks with us in it. And so the weight that you've been carrying since that person hurt you, since that situation, since that conversation, since that event, like the bitterness, the hurt, the weight, the, the harm, God carries that with you. Don't you not wanna feel that anymore? That every time their name pops up on your phone, you get those negative emotions. That even if you're just scrolling Instagram and you see they liked a picture, there's something in you that starts to hurt because of what they did to you. 
don't you not want to feel that anymore? That when you're walking through the hallways and somehow by some way you see them on the other end, that you don't have to turn a corner and go somewhere else because you can't just bear to walk past them for fact that they may smile at you and you might have to fake it and smile back. Don't you want to not feel like that anymore? If that's you, you get a choice tonight. But it's not just a choice you make tonight. It's a choice you have to keep making. I think you have to say it to someone, to yourself. I I don't know exactly all the ins and outs, but I think you have to say it. I forgive blank. And I'm not talking some like manifestation garbage, like some cognitive dissonance where I'm going to proclaim it as fact and then my feelings will fall. Like that is not what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about manifestation as fact. I'm talking this prayer by faith that Jesus because of what he's done, has bought us connection to the Heavenly Father. And that Heavenly Father wants to do a work of forgiveness in you. And so when you start to declare it by faith, it might not be just tonight, but every single day, every single week, every time you feel those. If you say it by faith, that's a prayer that your Heavenly Father wants to answer. And you can start to release some of that hurt. Start to find some of this freedom we're chatting about. Tonight and every single night after Oasis, there's people up front. And the people up front are people from our leadership team. And I could take as much, seriously, I could not say enough good things about the people we have on this leadership team. I love them with my whole, I must like cry. I love them with my whole heart. If my family was here, I'd send them to my leaders. They're here to hear things like this. Not because they have answers but because they'll join you in prayer and just a listening ear, sometimes it's all we need. And so if you need to say it tonight, be bold, let the Spirit lead you and have that conversation. But otherwise, the command of forgiveness, it's good, yet there is a great goal beyond just following that command. And that goal is reconciliation. Verse 21, confident of your obedience, I write to you, knowing that you will do even more than I ask. We titled this series, Grace and Truth. We're going to do truth in next week and the week after, but we're talking about grace. And grace is a, a commonly misused term in Christian churches, that we just use grace synonymously and we substitute it in for forgiveness. That it's like, I am forgiven, I have God's grace. But that is too low of a bar for what grace is. Grace is, yes, you are forgiven, that God has paid the price for you, but grace is also the empowerment that you can now live the way God wants you to. That's the beauty of the story of Philemon, that Paul could have told him, hey, hey, just welcome him back and forgive him. He could have said, hey, just come back, let him be your slave, forgive him what he's done, just, just, just don't worry about it, but he doesn't. He says, welcome him back like a brother, as you'd welcome me. That's not just forgiveness, that's grace. Because he's asking to empower Philemon with the way and the weight, the spirit to do what he's asking. Verse 25, he says, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you in your spirit. It's how he sends him after he finishes the letter. He wants him to go powerfully with God's grace to do even more, to move beyond the command of forgiveness into the goal of reconciliation. But here's the big old asterisk, and I gotta say that carefully, <laughs> that comes after reconciliation. 
It is a two-party problem. It's a two-party solution. That in reconciliation, forgiveness is the command, whether they want it or not, whether they deserve it or not, whether they earned it or not, whether it lets them go or not, forgiveness is the command, and there's freedom in it for that. Sometimes you don't even need to tell them you've forgiven them. Sometimes you don't need to even go to them. Sometimes no relationship will ever come back from that. But forgiveness is the command. Reconciliation is different. It says, hey, I want you back in my life in a way that's, that's powerful and God-honoring. But I don't want you to ever welcome someone back into your life that's going to hurt you. And so if they've hurt you once, if there's not something that's changed, they will hurt you again. And so it, it changes here in this story of Philemon and Onesimus. Verse 10, Paul says, That I appeal to you for my son Onesimus, who became my son while I was in chains. Formerly, he was useless to you, but now he's become useful both to you and to me. Onesimus has changed. He doesn't just come back to Philemon as the same man he was a couple of years ago. He comes back radically different, changed by the grace of Jesus. That this word, Paul, Paul kind of like slanders him. He's like, yo, this guy was useless to you. It's like, whoa, dude, come on. Like, and we know that's not really true because he was a slave and like slaves had lots of value. They probably did household chores. They probably took care of a lot of stuff. Like he did have value. He did add something. But it was not exactly what Paul's saying here because the word useless there in the original Greek is our Christos. Our Christos. In that word, it's the only time it's found in the whole Bible. To me, I start to think maybe Paul was saving it. Because as he calls Onesimus useless, he evokes this idea in the listener. Because the, one of the only things we know about Onesimus before he ran away is that he didn't know Jesus. In that word, our Christos, it's one letter different in the Greek from the word archristos that means Christless. So Paul has said, he was once useless to you. But what he said when you hear it, when you read it, it's one letter different. But when you hear it, which is what was commonly happened in these letters, they orated, they spoke them. So Philemon would have been sitting there and he would have been listening to this and he would have heard he was once Christless. But now he is useful. The word useful is Eucristos. The word Christ-filled, one letter different, pronounced exactly the same, Eucristos. He was once without Jesus, once without life, once stuck in bondage, once not useful to you, and now he is filled with Christ. He is your brother, and there is incredible power in who he is. One last really cool thing Paul does is Onesimus, his name, it meant useful. It was a common name given to slaves in this time. So when Paul has said he was once useless, but now he's useful, he's playing on this idea that when he was without Christ, he wasn't even who he was meant to be, but when he's with Christ, he's found his identity, his true nature, who he's supposed to be, and he fulfills his very name, and he's finally useful. I started telling you the story about Eric Fitzgerald, the man who lost his wife and his daughter. He stood up on that stage, the, the platform in the box, and he spoke to the jury, and he turned to them, 
And he said, I want you to give Matt the easiest punishment you possibly could. I know he took my wife and my daughter, but it was an accident. And I've forgiven him, so please don't hold that against him. Two years later, they still had never talked, the two of them. They weren't allowed to because there was legal proceedings and things that blocked them from being able to communicate. But one day before the two-year expiration date, Matt is sitting in his truck in a grocery store parking lot. He just went in, he came out, and he got a greeting card. And on that card, he started to write what he was going to send to Eric. Two years worth of emotion, regret, sorrow, hurt. He hasn't spoken to him once. And he's writing this card, and he looks up from the steering wheel, and out of the grocery store comes Eric. And he happened to park at a car near him, and so Matt got out of his truck, and he walked over to Eric, the man who he killed his wife and his daughter, and he has never spoken to. And he's about to give him the speech of forgiveness and remorse and sorrow and hurt. And Eric just opens his arms. And he hugs Matt. And there's tears. And there's, there's mutual hurt. And after a long embrace, they separate. And Eric looks at him and he says, hey, no, I know this is weird, but I think God wants you, me to be a part of your life. The man who killed his wife, he, he gives him a hug after two years, and he says, I think I'm supposed to be a part of your life. It's been 15 years. Eric and Matt still get lunch every week. Eric is now remarried and has another daughter, but Faith, the two-year-old from the back seat, is now 17. And she meets with Matt and Matt's daughters consistently to hang out and to just enjoy each other's company. You know what that is? That's grace. That's reconciliation. That's not just forgiveness. That's a step farther than God. Than, that is what God desires for us if there's change. And so I know forgiveness is hard, and I know it's scary, and I know there's deep wounds in this room. And I'm sorry. From the bottom of my heart as your pastor, I'm sorry you had to go through that. It's not fair, it's not right, and I don't think God wanted it for you. But forgiveness is our command. It's what he has obligated us to do, and restoration becomes our goal. There's freedom in forgiveness because of who Christ is and what he has done. Our job becomes to follow him in that command and to pray for that goal. Pray with me. Father, I thank you tonight for the opportunity to bring your word again to these people. That as I sit with my brothers and sisters and we open up the story of Philemon, I can't help but just thank you for your word, God. That there is a beauty that something from thousands of years ago still speaks straight into the soul and the, the heart of what we experience today. 
And Father, you know we've all been Philemon's. We've all been hurt. There's not a person in this world that goes without the hurt of another relationship or situation. But you're in every situation and your grace is sufficient for us. And so tonight, would you help us to wrestle with that? That this intellectual idea of who, of what forgiveness is becomes a reality that we get to live out. Would you give us your spirit to do that? In Jesus' name.